0: here you go richest nothing personal word of the day it is april 26th 2023 it's a wednesday and the word of the day is richest we are leading a show who woulda thunk it with the pittsburgh pirates who signed the richest deal in team history. Don't change the channel. Don't fast forward. We have an amazing show today, but the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're the story of the year. Maybe Tampa Bay Rays with the number one record in baseball. How about the Pittsburgh Pirates tied for the best record in the national league and the second best record in all of baseball right now. We're almost a month into the season. Season started on March 30th. The, The talk has been about Bob Nutting. Before I talk about the Brian Reynolds contract, the richest contract, $106 million. awe inspiring for a low revenue team. A team that until last year, Jason Kendall in the year 2000 was the biggest deal they ever signed. That's when PNC was opening. Jason Kendall, their catcher got $50 million in the game. We said, my God, I can't believe the Pirates are doing this. We're going to have to sign players, too, heading into a new stadium. It's going to work. It didn't work for the Pirates. It'll work for us. Uh oh, crap. It didn't work for us either. And the Pirates said, screw it. We don't need to sign anyone to these contracts anymore. Bob Nutting said, I own this team. I'm not selling this team. And we're going to build the team and have a payroll that can be paid for. In what I call the number one ballpark in the country without a roof is PNC. One of the great new stadiums that's not new anymore that was supposed to lead to a renaissance, increased payroll, moving up the food chain. New stadiums in baseball, in theory, keep the difference between you and the best the same. That's what you're trying to do. You are trying to make it so that you're behind the teams in front of you by the same amount as you always have been you don't all of a sudden become a large market team i'm talking to you san diego you're not a large market team you're not a high revenue team you're a high payroll team bob nutting has tried to be responsible he has gotten a ton of heat i must sell please sell you're a billionaire the union has been all over the pirates the way they were all over us in Miami and in Florida. The union tends to file these grievances, Coca, these are good. Here's how it works. You get a letter and the letter comes after the phone call. The phone call comes from the commissioner who says, listen, the union's filing a grievance and then the grievances are numbered. So if your grievance is in 2009, it would be 09-8 which means the eighth grievance of the 09 season. So the grievance is filed against you and other teams for not using your revenue sharing dollars to increase and help the value of your product, to help the team at the major league level. We would have to explain how we use revenue sharing every single year and how we used it to help the team or to help what would help the team to improve scouting, to improve development. We would just make up all sorts of stuff because we were losing money. And the union knew that we were losing money. So these grievances were not gonna go far. One day the phone rang and Bud Selig, or was it Rob? One of the two called and said, hey, you're gonna have to sign somebody. You don't have enough guaranteed contracts. The union is all pissed off. We've got collective bargaining going on. Let's take this off the table. And I said, go back to the letter if you can find it because I met the media when Josh Johnson got signed. And I said, hey, we're happy to take one for the sport. No problem. Josh Johnson is a superb talent, greatest sinker ball. He, was, he opened the new ballpark. That's how good he was before his 18 Tommy Johns. Are we good? Hey, Mike. Hey, Eugene. Hey, Scott, hey, Tony, we're good, right? Well, it just keeps happening. The circle of life. It's the circle. Because the seasons, they go round and round. And the painted ponies go up and down. Bob Nutting said, we've got a grievance, we've got to sign a player. So they start negotiating with Brian Reynolds. They can't come to an agreement the entire off season, last off season, it's everywhere. Brian Reynolds thinks at 28 years old that he is worth what other people have been paid of his ilk. He wants to get up to $20 million a year. He wants no trade protection. He wants to make sure that he controls his destiny, wants to settle in Pittsburgh, not settle in Pittsburgh, sign before he's a free agent, become a free agent, and then sign. It's hard to know what the players want. We went through all sorts of shows talking about this Brian Reynolds situation. Bob Nutting gave a quote two months ago. Hey, we want to get this done, but more importantly, we don't want him to be upset. We don't want him to be disrespected. I never would have said that in that it's not that I want players to feel disrespected. It's just not number one on my list if they do, because the disrespect the players feel generally comes from the agents telling them to feel that way because they want to make sure the team gets shamed into spending money. If I'm the president of the Pirates, I'm saying to Brian Reynolds, hey, this is where we are go out and make it so we have to move. Brian Reynolds comes out, starts performing. Negotiations continue, which is something I don't like doing during the season because of this. When you negotiate with the player during the season, you're subject to the vagaries of the season. Think about where the Pirates are. They are currently in first place. They extended their manager and they signed Brian Reynolds. Why? It's April. And I'm not trying to say that the Pirates aren't going to win the division. I'm really not. But they're not. But they've got a one-game lead over the Brewers. They're playing 667 ball. It's not sustainable. You can have a 16-8 and eight stretch at any time during the 90-loss season. I'm not wishing the Pirates to lose 90 games. I'm only predicting it. And when these things happen, you tend to make decisions that are emotion-based and not rational. So they give in to Brian Reynolds and they give him eight years, $106 million. And what they're saying to the union is, look, not only did we sign Reynolds this year, we signed Hayes last year. There's their, their, um, the guy they gave eight years, $70 million to last year. These are the only two guys, by the way, who have contracts after next year, other than those in the arbitration world. But it's meant to a swage, the union, to show the fan base how committed they are to winning or that the rebuild is over or that the time is now or that we've identified the players. It's a bunch of horse hockey. They merely were pressured into doing it and did it. Here's the question. When you are looking at a deal with a Brian Reynolds and you know that you have to do it, Does it change how you negotiate it? Do the players realize that you have to sign it? Yes and yes. All we do is talk about leverage. That's so ridiculous hyperbole. It's not all we talk about. Leverage is everything in life, in relationships, in business, leverage matters. Who needs what and how quickly do you need it and who's got what you need to have. The players and agents know exactly what's going on with nutting, they know exactly what's going on with the team, they're very aware that a deal needs to be signed, and they all of a sudden change their mind on a few things. The Pirates had no intention of going eight years with Reynolds. They did not want to go over $100 million with Reynolds. When you look at the breakdown of his contract, they had to give him two extra million dollars this year, which was not in the budget. We did not budget, do not budget for in-season signings that change current day payrolls. If you want to give a bonus, a signing bonus over a period of time or payable next year or the next fiscal year, I'm willing to budget it, but I'm not doing an extra $2 million now, especially when the team is 16 and eight. And the dream is that instead of being sellers, we can actually be buyers at the trade deadline. A team on a tight budget requires that you keep your powder dry. So they give an extra $2 million. He keeps his salary this year of six and three quarters. He's still arbitration eligible next year and goes to 10 then to 12, and he ends up basically at $15 million as a free agent, to which you're saying to me, David, you don't know what you're talking about. Brian Reynolds, a $15 million player? Of course he is. And my answer to you is, why? We're two years early. There is no way you can tell me what Brian Reynolds should be making as a free agent. It is speculation that teams do. We all do it. We are trying to project and we are trying to get a deal because we think as a free agent that player will be worth more than what we're paying during his free agent years. The player thinks I'm taking the guaranteed money to protect against injury non-performance and of course I've got life-changing money. Brian Reynolds, Jason Kendall, these are the people who will hold the record. Richest contract in the history of the Pittsburgh Pirates franchise. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good stories. Pirates have above average right now and average and run scored and home runs and ERA. It's all working for them. I like the, uh, I like the stack guys. I mean, I'm not an analytics guy myself. I like using it as one of the arrows in my quiver, but do you think it's a coincidence that the Rays have the best hitting and the best pitching and therefore the best record? Do you think that run differential doesn't matter? Do you think that where you are in relation to the league and average home runs runs and ERA doesn't matter? We would always delude ourselves. Hey, we're number eight, we're good. As long as we are at average in one, if we're above average in the other and we have a positive run differential, we're gonna be above 500 and therefore have a chance to get hot in September and make the playoffs. We said the same crap to ourselves always, which by the way, Every team does. It's not just fans who rationalize. Front offices do too, constantly. So I personally think that it's a little early for all this exuberance, Ray the Pirates, though I'm happy for Brian. I'm happy for Pirates fans. I think that fans in Pittsburgh may not realize they've had a bit more winning than they think and a stadium that is a bit more beautiful than they may realize, and a city that is a bit more awesome than people give it credit for. But listen, let's stay calm a little bit. It's April, nobody's calm. I'm not gonna make fun of Kenny Williams and Jerry Reinsdorf. I'm not gonna do it, but I am gonna talk about what Kenny Williams did yesterday because it was very purposeful. Kenny Williams is the president of baseball operations for the White Sox. Rick Hahn is the longtime GM of the White Sox. Kenny Williams runs the team. We know this. They changed titles. Kenny Williams said, I stand back. I'm not involved. It's Rick. It's this. I'm above him now in a meaningful way. I've stepped back from day to day. It means he doesn't want to do the shit work anymore. That's all it means. He met the media yesterday to make sure that we were all clear that he's not doing well, which, of course, struck a nerve with me because I don't want to opine as to his mental state if there is serious mental illness. And I don't mean that in a negative way. If he is depressed, if he's anxious, all of the things that I am, I am not depressed, the anxiety part, where you talk about it and, and mental well being is something that we are trying to normalize, and I am not. So be clear here when you cut segments of this show or when you use sound bites, I am not opining as to whether or not Kenny Williams has a problem. What I am opining on is what he says when he has that problem. So Kenny Williams meets the media and basically spends his time explaining to us what he does and what Jerry Reinsdorf does. He said, it's really time to put our best foot forward here. Williams said that he and Rick Khan are also responsible. But any changes are ultimately ownership call. Accountability here is not a problem. I love it. Here's where he is. He has a new manager because no one wanted Tony LaRusso around. LaRusso gets ixnayed. There, they have a good enough payroll. There's no question about that. Just because Jerry doesn't want to waste money doesn't make him a bad owner. To take a look at your ring fingers with what he's done in that city. So I'm not at all impugning Jerry Reinsdorf as an owner. He won the World Series in 05. That counts. He has six rings with the Bulls. That counts. The fact that the White Sox have not had success since 05, I'm not going to throw stones. My house is glass. It is cracking, given the fact that we couldn't win after 03 before 17 when I was out. But the question is, what's gone wrong in chicago and the answer is that they've put together a team of players who they paid young who they thought they had the building blocks do you remember this guy eloy jimenez i don't know if you even think about him anymore he's a guy who they signed how old was he god he must have been what 22 years old when they signed him coca absolutely totally young Gave him 43 million bucks, the guy can't hit, and when he's not injured, four, eight, 69. The guy's always injured, and when he's not injured, he can't hit. The White Sox are 10 games under at seven and 17. You can have a month like this and still be a playoff team. Go back and look at a 90-win team, and I think about this all the time. We had a horrific August in 03 before we won a World Series, 10 games under maybe and then came back with a great September. One month does not a season make, but there are certain things going on in Chicago that make you believe that there's going to be a problem. Number one, their pitching is horrific. 10th in the American League in run average. They're below average in runs, 12th in home runs. Their big pitcher, Lance Lynn, his ERA is over seven. Their relief pitching gets talked about with the Royals and the A's, who are 100 lost teams. Tim Anderson, the great, remember Tim Anderson, WBC, Tim Anderson, hurt. This is a team that was expected under Tony La Russa to win. This was a team that going into this year had the second best odds in the AL Central. They were supposed to be only behind the Guardians. I think, uh, did we not go with the Twins? In our preseason prediction prediction for that division, Coca, do you remember? Do you remember when you did that uh, spreadsheet on the show as we were doing it? I don't know if you still have that spreadsheet or if where it is, but I think we went with the twins. So Kenny Williams and accountability. Let's talk about that. When you have a president of baseball operations. That's the same as a GM. We just change titles in order to protect and to give people a bigger sense of title. Stop Rick Hahn from going somewhere else. You take him from assistant GM to GM. Your job is to meet the media when things are bad and to explain what's bad and what you're going to do to make it good again. Instead, what Kenny Williams said is, It's naive of me to think that if things don't correct themselves, that we wouldn't be looked at as well, talking about himself. But he said he and the owner are in lockstep. There are 139 games left and we're six games out. That's what he kept saying. There are 139 games left. I couldn't agree more. I want teams to focus both on the upside and the downside. That's the Pirates, that's the White Sox. Listen, the season has not started the way we wanted it to. The season has started as we wanted it to. Both ways work. We recognize how early it is. We are still evaluating our evaluation. Were we right to think where we are or were we right to think where we thought we would be? over the course of the next 139 games, we will have a far better way to evaluate the job that our front office has done in acquiring players. We will have a far better sample size to evaluate how our manager is doing in his first year. We will be able to figure out what to do with our team going forward because, and here's where we separate, because we want this feeling to last forever or because In the White Sox case, we want this feeling to go away as soon as possible. So you see the sound bites are almost identical. You just change a few things if you're in first place or last place. That's the beauty of PR. The beauty is that you arrange what you wanna say so that when you go back on what you said, you get to be right because everyone remembers. You don't ever say to the media, we're exactly where we want to be. We are exactly where we expected to be. No, even if you are winning 100 games, it's then we want to advance in the playoffs. If you were supposed to lose 100 games and you win 70 games, no, we want to be at least a 500 team and compete in September for the playoffs. If you were supposed to win 100 and you're about to win your 100th, fantastic talk to me at the end of October. You always leave the carrot out. There's always more. There's always better. So be careful with your April comments. Be very careful. I wonder what will be with Kenny Williams. Is he tired of it? Is he sick of it? Does he want to be fired? He made it sound like Jerry was totally cool with everything that's going on. Is Jerry Reinstorf okay with the White Sox? To have him get rid of Tony LaRussa, his close friend, was a significant move. Even Jerry realized that Larussa situation was not tenable at all. Fantastic hire in Pedro. Give him time. It's April. It's like winning the offseason and giving a soundbite like this is it. It's like what the Padres did. We are the team. Peter are walking around taking photos with fans and signing autographs. Look at me. I am the man. Padres keep getting shut out. Their offense stinks. Javier Soto's... I wonder if Scott Boris calls Javier Soto and says, hey, you may want to start hitting, like, really soon. Even though it's early, but maybe really, really soon. I said, who's Javier? Oh, Javier Soto's my friend. I meant Juan Soto. It's very strange that I would have done that. So speaking of winning and losing the off season, we touched on the Aaron Rodgers situation yesterday. And we told you that there were going to be comments, there were going to be statements. We were gonna hear from Joe Douglas. That it was interesting to me that I believed that the Jets made a terrible deal because they had no leverage. And that Aaron Rodgers screwed them, Woody Johnson screwed them, and Joe Douglas would have to be the one and wouldn't you know it joe douglas when talking about the upcoming draft which starts tomorrow with round one in the nfl in case you are living under a rock or you just don't care joe douglas was forced wait for it to defend the trade i mean obviously we're we're comfortable um with with how this this deal shaped um you know in any any negotiation um you know, I don't think anyone ever walks away from from a negotiation where you feel like you you want everything um, in terms of what's gone gone back and forth but um, ultimately you know our our goal from the beginning was to to add Aaron to the team and um, so we were able to get that uh, agreed to terms to that yesterday and um, just excited to get, get him here my goal is to weigh 250 pounds and I know just how to do it Joe Douglas with one of the great negotiating principles of all time, nobody leaves a winner. I like that, I actually subscribe to that theory which is after a good negotiation, if you win too one-sidedly, too definitively, the other side says, I don't even wanna do business with you anymore, this is horrible, I feel like crap. If both sides walk away saying, eh, I could've done better, I could've done worse, I'm happy, that's a successful deal. But saying it does not make it so. When we send up our GM to talk about a trade in the middle of a fire sale, in the middle of a trade deadline, in the middle of a buy, a sell, whatever we're doing, we have our GM make sure he covers a few specific comments. Joe Douglas went right down the middle. I don't think anyone ever walks away from a negotiation where you feel like you won everything. All right, I like it. But then he said, our goal from the beginning was to get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that would be good to say after the trade. The problem is it was all said before the trade. So the GM is supposed to go out there after the fact and say, this is what the plan was, and this is the way that we decided to get it done. Instead, he said what you're supposed to say, except once it's said before, you're not supposed to say it. So if you blow it and say before that, hey, Aaron Rodgers is gonna be on our team, then after what you're supposed to say is, having spoken to my owner, it became very clear to me that Aaron Rodgers was going to be a jet. I made it very clear to the Green Bay Packers that Aaron Rodgers was going to be a Jet, and this was the price that we paid. That would have been an amazing statement by Joe Douglas, right? I think it would have been perfect and normal. Don't pretend that you won something when it's so obvious you lost. It's as easy as going after a game. Have you ever seen a manager do this? I have, and it made me crazy. Man, if it weren't for that wild pitch, that game is ours, that game was in the bag. What an unfortunate situation where he hung a slider. God, if that ground ball had been one inch to the left, it wouldn't have been a double play, it would have been a run scoring single. Hell yeah, if I were 6'11", I could dunk. Talk to me about the result, talk to me about the process, but don't make me feel like a moron don't say that we had a goal of getting aaron and so we worked to get it done you didn't work to get it done you just realized you had to get it done before the draft and you ended up giving poor joe douglas he didn't mean anything about what he said and then he was forced to talk on top of that about zach wilson i hope they made the call to zach wilson and i don't mean yesterday the first call to zach wilson is when mike white goes to the dolphins the second Call to Zach Wilson is when news of Aaron Rodgers is going to get out before Rodgers goes on McAfee. When Woody Johnson tells me that we're getting Aaron Rodgers, I'm calling Zach Wilson to say, Hey, we want you. You're signed, but keep in mind, we are looking and will acquire Aaron Rodgers. Then you try to rehabilitate him publicly. Douglas said, I feel like this is going to be a great thing for Zach. Horse hockey. You think Zach is standing up and saying hip hip hooray, give me the clipboard I wanna learn from the man. Aaron Rodgers, that POS is not gonna teach Zach Wilson one thing, he's not gonna talk to him. It's gonna be great for Zach. Come on Joe, don't feed me that. No one works harder. No one loves ball more than Zach Wilson and having the opportunity to really shadow and be with a Hall of Fame quarterback every day, every hour, That's a great opportunity, a great learning experience. Hold on one second. Hey, hold on. We're in the middle of a show. Jordan, hey, quick question for you. As you were preparing to be on the Packers and to play, did you hang out with Aaron a lot? Like in the film room? Did you guys like go and do the Alphonseca together? Any cave dwelling spelunking? Any sort of thing when you were taking your four snaps? Nothing? All right, hold on. We're gonna say it a little differently for Zach, okay? Are we all right with that? Give me a break. It's like a joke. Shadowing a Hall of Fame quarterback. Hey, Wes Edens, do you mind if Jordan and Zach come along when I take your daughter to dinner? (laughs) What What does that mean? I'm out. O-U-Triple-T, wait to see when I tell you something's gonna happen. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but either way, we're gonna revisit it. March 9th of 2022, before the season, I said Aaron Rodgers will be done after the 2022 season. Idiot, got it wrong. 60 million, what was I thinking? I must've been exhausted that day. That's a no. March 7th of 2023, I said Aaron Rodgers will end up as the Jets quarterback. Nailed it. All right, Coca, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to review something that will require a little conversation, and then we're going to talk a little baseball. We will be right back. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants I will love you forever. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends about us, giving us 45 minutes of your day every day, which we do not take for granted. I still watch a movie every day. I don't know why I say it because there's new listeners every day. I watched a documentary about Judy Bloom. If you do not know who Judy Bloom is, please pay close attention. Judy Bloom was writing about teenagers. And what they go through in a way that John Hughes could only dream of. And John Hughes is my sensei when it comes to teenage angst and teenage love and teenage conversation. There is a documentary that will go through everything Judy Bloom did. Do you remember the book Forever that you weren't allowed to read because it was about teenagers in, in high school having sex and everyone wanted to get a copy of it? And it wasn't even a picture book and it didn't have any like scrambled images. Hey, that's an elbow. This was not all access type of Channel J stuff. This was an actual book in the elementary school library, not banned. Why would it be? It was a perfectly written book about real things that real teenagers are thinking, feeling and doing. Are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, same thing. It's gonna be a movie, by the way. If you look at this documentary, which I want you to please You will learn about her life, learn about what turned her into the writer she is, learn about the impact that her books have had worldwide. And realize that Judy Bloom did more than just write to you through the pages of a book. She actually wrote to real people, engaged with them, the way I try to engage with you on DMs. She engaged in letter writing because that's what existed back then helping girls understand that what they were thinking, feeling, and doing was normal and natural, despite what their parents were saying or not saying, despite how embarrassed or not embarrassed they were about what they were going through. Judy Bloom, forever. Thank you, Judy. I will always love you. All right, Coca. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you wanna talk to Samson, get into my Twitter, at David P. Samson. Ask me a question, we're gonna go through it. Maybe, and maybe we're baked, maybe we're not. We are live with some nothing personal, unavailable swag. Every day at a.m., nothing personal with David Samson YouTube channel. Please hit subscribe. There are a lot of you watching who are not hitting subscribe, I'm not sure why. David, good morning, hello. With all the baggage surrounding Marcelo Zuna and his utter lack of performance over the last two years, including a horrendous start to this season, why are the Braves continuing to put him in the lineup? There must be a financial reason to do so because I cannot think of an on-the-field reason. Are you all frustrated in Atlanta? You have the best record in the National League, tied with the Pirates. Marcelo Zuna is a player... Let me give you some background on him. He was ours, an important part of our team that couldn't win 81 games. He is someone who I love dearly, who I have not been able to communicate with since I've been out of the game. He has had off the field issues, he's had suspensions, troubles at home, troubles on the field, and all he ever wanted was a long-term deal. Scott Boris was his agent a while ago, we made a offer to him that was not even close to what he thought his worth was. And we never countered their counter because their counter was as though Ozuna was Aaron Judge-like. That's how Boris works. And in our mind, we did not want to ever give Ozuna a long-term deal. So we made the offer so we could say we made the offer, knowing that he wouldn't take it. Because our concern was that after signing a long-term deal, there was a chance that his performance would drop. We always consider that with any player. But there are certain players where you are more worried about their performance and want to keep them year to year. You want to keep the carrot in front of the Greyhound. You want to make sure they never get it. Because you want them to keep fighting and keep playing and keep being motivated. Ozuna was one of those players. Ozuna had a great year in Atlanta in 2020 and you, the fans, started pressuring and the Braves, who were signing all those young players to contracts, felt the need to sign Ozuna to a long-term deal. That is out of character in my mind. They did not feel the need to sign Freddie Freeman to a long-term deal after he helped them win a damn World Series. Why they felt pressure to sign Marcelo Ozuna to that deal, which he signed only, Two years ago, February of 2021, a four-year deal, $65 million. It's a lot of money. Signed it in February, got suspended in September. Remember the 20 games for the domestic abuse policy violation. Meanwhile, he's hit 210 with 32 homers over 189 games since he signed the deal. Not a bad season. 32 homers, 82 ribbies, 210. The Marcelo Zuna, who I know, was a 270 to 280 hitter, but averages are down everywhere, so we don't have to worry about it. Consistent, gap to gap, didn't have a reason to be pull happy. You needed a good at bat, you had Ozuna. Did he have the occasional flailing strikeout that would frustrate you? Don't fall for that sort of bias where you just remember the strikeouts. He was a good player both sides of the ball. Then he got hurt. He can't throw. Marcelo Zuna hurt himself as a Marlin, and here we are six years since I've been there. He still cannot throw. A defensive liability who was the starter of the 2017 All-Star game in Miami. That's where he was. The list of one-time All-Stars, the list of two-time All-Stars, the list of people who are good until they sign and then are not good, it's as long as your right arm way longer than mine. But when you're a team who has signed that deal, when do you decide to bomb Garner him? What point is it enough? If Marcelo Zuna can perform off the bench as a pinch hitter, as a threatened home run hitter, you bench him, you pinch hit him, you hope to capture magic, play him once in a while, and let it go. That's assuming he's positive in the clubhouse, both on and off the field, always on time, never an issue, the exact guy you want for chemistry, everything. If the juice is not worth the squeeze, you designate him. Designating a player means that you will pay that player the entire rest of his salary which is 16 million this year 16 million next year plus a buyout the year after but you will pay him not to play for you you hope he signs on as a minimum player with another team so you can save a couple hundred grand but it's not even enough to get a utility player at the deadline you only make that decision to give up on a player you've signed long term when you have no other choice The Atlanta Braves have another choice. The Atlanta Braves are deep. They are deep in the outfield. They are deep in the lineup. They are deep in pitching. They're pretty much deep everywhere. My pick to make it to the World Series. So if they designate him, that is a comment about not his play, but his person. Now this year, keep in mind, he's only hitting 73, literally 73, 073, not good. OPS, which is on base plus slugging, 390, so bad. Four total hits, 18 strikeouts, I could go on and on, but really that doesn't matter. It's only April. He's fine. The financial reason to keep him is that you want to find a way to make that $16 million that you're paying him work for you. You don't want it as a sunk cost. In, in Atlanta's case, by the way, they have shareholders. But in our case, we have an owner. We have scouting people. We have development people. We need to be very careful when we just Dixie a player because it is a reflection on the personnel people. It's a reflection on me as a president. It makes the owner pissed off. It's much easier to say to an owner, hey... He's cold right now, hang in there. Here's the problem with Ozuna. The problem with Ozuna is that he is not the clubhouse glue. And if you're not gonna be the clubhouse glue and we get into June and we have roster crunch issues, we're getting toward October, and Ozuna is still performing like this, he will be designated for assignment. Wait to see when I tell you something's gonna happen. Here it comes. Ready? Marcelo Zuna will be designated for assignment before the end of this season. I could say before the end of the contract, and it's a guaranteed winner. But I'm going to say before the end of this season. And it's not because I don't love you, Marcel. It's not because I don't want you to be better off the field and on the field. It's because I know exactly what is going through Atlanta's mind. It's not today. But it ain't far from here. Thank you for that question. Appreciate it. All right. Nothing personal pick of the day. The Tampa Bay Rays have won 14 games in a row at home until yesterday. How would you, I mean, listen, Javier's good. I picked the Astros to win the World Series, and I went against the Astros yesterday. What was I thinking? Well, there you have it. Rasmussen and the Rays lost to the Garcia and the Astros. That's a loss for our pick of the day yesterday. But we won a parlay, and winning a parlay feels good. Denver closed out their series, Phoenix closed out their series, and that's a series ender. Gentleman sweep, we call it. I never heard that expression, by the way, before. I think I learned it from Stu Gatz. I didn't realize a 4-1 is a gentleman sweep. Like, hey, you won a game, feel good about yourself. Losing a series 4-1 and losing a series 4-0, if you speak to the t wolves right now or to the Brooklyn Nets, it makes no difference. 4-0, 4-1, same. 4-3, you're a little bit more sort of, man, we had it. 4-0, 4-1, there's nothing gentlemanly about it. You're pissed off. So important to finish out a series when you can with a gentleman's sweep. So very important. So let's talk about what we're looking at tonight. A lot of good basketball. We got the Grizzlies and the Lakers. How are the Grizzlies doing? Number two seed, John ja Morant, the player who I told you I'd rather have than Zion. I'm not sure I'd rather have either of them right now. I guess, but at the end of the day, excuse me one second, I have a little frog. There's no bottles of water in the studio, in Levitard Studios, so they have this fancy thing like with cucumber water or lime water or fizzy water or some sort of cranberry water, and it comes in a cup, and I don't like drinking out of a cup because I worry that I'm going to spill it. And then I don't want to get water everywhere. And I hit one of the buttons. I can't taste the difference. So I was told this one's cucumber. And it just, to me, it smells like dirt. It's gross. All right, Grizzlies. Grizzlies are four over the Lakers. The Lakers have a chance to close them out. What do you think? going to happen? Taylor Jenkins may think so. He's worried that their team lacks maturity, which they do. Dylan Brooks hasn't met the media since he poked the lebron bear john Morant said that seems like a good idea i'll join you he didn't mean the media after they lost game four what are they doing there if i'm in charge of the memphis grizzlies and i have my coach saying hey yeah we could be more mature hell get in there and make it happen. There's no reason to do public messaging in the NBA playoffs. You wanna send a message to your team, you send it during the regular season, during the off season, during the preseason. When you're in the middle of a series against LeBron James, you think that going public to saying your team lacks maturity, what is that, an excuse? Is that a motivator? What's the exact plan here, Stan? The only thing I can think of is you're trying not to get eliminated from the playoffs. Here's an idea, play better shoot better and make your players meet the media grizzlies four over the lakers you think i'm taking the lakers don't you nope this is going back to the forum they don't call it the forum do they where do the lakers play do they still play it like a crypto place i think they do coca that's our first pick of the day second In baseball, there's something happening tonight that will get a bit of attention, as it should. Not just because it's my old team, not because the guy pitching won the Cy Young last year, but because he's coming off an injury. Sandy Alcantara is coming back for the Marlins. They are playing the aforementioned Braves. Atlanta is 165 over Sandy. My concern with taking care of a pitcher who's injured is I understand why the Marlins want to rush him back. I do, because I felt the same thing all the time. I wanted my players back. I wanted them to play immediately. When you've got a player signed the way they do with Sandy, and you feel that your window is not closing, query, do the Marlins even have a window? If they do have a window, is it closing? I'm not doing anything to risk Sandy's health. And I'm not telling you that the Marlins are risking Sandy's health. I'm telling you that in my experience, when I've got my best pitcher and he's got some issues in his arm, I'm not having to miss only one or two starts. I want to make sure it's perfect. If I've got a guy signed for one year, like Verlander's we have one rehab start and then pitching for the Mets, great. Don't even do the rehab start. Get up here and pitch for us right now. You're on a two-year deal and you're 59 years old and we're paying you 43 million. Get up here and pitch, don't waste it. Sandy, I wanna be on my team for years. He signed, for, signed a five-year deal, I think. I'm very concerned about it. And you bring him back against a team like Atlanta, a disciplined veteran hitting team. Now, young players, I grant you, but they don't play young. That is not a ingredient. That is not a recipe for success i've got the braves over the marlins we'll see what happens all right oh we're not even gonna get to these things that's it we're back tomorrow i promise you that i appreciate your time as always it's just business this is nothing personal